Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Round Hill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. And our special guest today is Aram Mitchell. So Aram uh, is employed with the Bangor Theological Center in uh, Bangor, Maine, and which grew out of the Bangor Theological Seminary, which was in existence for many, many years, a wonderful institution, served primarily, I think, the churches of northern New England, preparing ordained clergy and did just wonderful, wonderful work, and now has left this amazing legacy, the BTS Center. And Aram is the Director for Partnerships and Formation at that center. And uh, before I ask Aram his very first question, I just want to take this line from the btscenter.org website. Really love this line. It describes the work of the organization by saying, inspired by the vision of human hearts renewed, justice established and creation restored, we are focusing much of our programmatic attention on equipping faith leaders. That's just fantastic language. So Aram, welcome. And tell us a little bit about what you do at the BTS Center. Thanks, Ed and Leslie for having me. And thanks to the whole Round Hill community uh, for inviting me to be sitting here around the bonfire in the living room. I don't know, in this conversational space. I love it. These are the spaces. Um, yeah, my name's Aram. Uh, and uh, up until about eight months ago, I would introduce myself by saying, hi, I'm Aram, and I guide wilderness trips for people doing good things in the world. Um, so in a previous iteration of my vocation, uh, I was and still am in my heart, uh, a, a professional wilderness guide, taking people on experiences of encounter with uh, with the divine, with themselves, with each other, with other instances of wild nature in huh. wild spaces. Um, I did that for about five years here in Maine, where I live. And uh, at the end of last year, I uh, I, I kind of shifted gears and found this opportunity to join the team at the BTS Center, um, as Ed said, as the Director of Partnerships and Formation, which is just like a delicious, generative, open-ended title that um, I'm still figuring out how to embody. Um, but in many ways, I think of my current role at the BTS Center uh, in some ways kind of comparable to what I was what I was doing before, insofar as um, before I would hop in a canoe with a group of people and we would maybe paddle down a river and find a beautiful confluence to camp out at, right? And we would set up camp yep. and, uh, and linger there at that confluence and have beautiful conversations around the campfire um, and explore uh, themes of, of, of renewal and of spiritual identity and open up questions about what it means to, to be human in this wild and wondrous gritty and glorious world. Um, I think the, the confluence that I'm camping out at now in my role at the BTS center is one where there's one flow that comes in that is uh, around ideas of spiritual leadership in the world. Um, and then there's another flow that comes in that's around the idea of sort of the ethic of the common good. Um, 
And uh, I myself personally am part of a team that is kind of camped out at that intersection Mm -hmm. of what does it look like today, particularly, to be lingering um, intentionally, carefully, mindfully, proactively at this confluence, this place where two things flow together, two or more things, this Mm -hmm. intersection of, on the one hand, opportunities to to um, embody spiritual leadership in the world. And I'd like to talk some about what that even means with you both. Um, And also like what it, what it means to be doing that in a way that's committed to the common good, to our common home, to Mm -hmm. a place that, uh, that requires us to find kind of an ethic of what it means to share space and 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 resources and and to lean into relationships of mutuality um and specifically we are trying to kind of open up and unpack questions around what it means to live in a climate changed world right right? um oftentimes kind of conversations around what it means to be living with climate change um rightly focus on uh, on the science and on the policies. Um, we're also trying to ask the question, what does it look like to kind of maybe unearth, pun intended, um, some of what it, some of what the, the spiritual roots of, uh, of living in a climate changed world are, some of the problematic spiritual roots and what it looks like to explore some spiritual solutions to those problems. Aram, who's who's coming to you and for help with those questions? Because that's a really rich array of you know conversations that you're trying to yeah. people's spiritual leadership as well as their engagement with the common good. Yeah. Um, thus far, who's been uh, who's been reaching out to you to to seek guidance for? Mm. This? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, with our uh, with our roots in uh, theological education, our organizational roots in theological education. We, we call ourselves a, a 200 year old startup because for, for about 200 years, we were a seminary, Bangor sure. Theological Seminary, um, with, I think reaching back to 1814. And then, um, less than 10 years ago, but, uh, in 2013, the seminary closed. Um, and so stopped uh, awarding degrees um, and shifted gears to become the private foundation that is the BTS Center, bearing uh, the legacy of the former Bangor Theological Seminary, um, and uh, b- but still looking to offer uh, experiences of theological education, theological reflection, um, and spiritual formation. Um, and I say all that to say that still uh, a lot of folks who come our way, who are part of our community, are uh, faith leaders, um, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, self-identified faith leaders, um, ordained and non-ordained alike, um, mm-hmm. lay leaders from from uh, from kind of an ecumenical array of, of communities. And some folks also who um, are members of of uh, communities of spiritual practice that maybe aren't directly affiliated with a specific religious tradition, but who have a, a, a sort of like uh, spiritual thirst or curiosity um, about this shared project of making the world a better place, right? So I would say um, by and large, uh, folks who kind of end up in the room with us uh, in the past 18 months, the, the virtual space uh, that that we've been hosting are um, Mm -hmm. folks who 
are progressive Christian or progressive Christian adjacent, um, but not exclusively by any means. Uh, and certainly anyone listening to this would be welcome to, to join in. I love your use of the word adjacent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that want to be adjacent to religious institutions, not necessarily inside them. <laughs> that resonates with me. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. interesting what you were saying about your role, because uh, I commented to Ed before you got on our Zoom call here that it sounds like your role sounds like the director of collaboration. Ooh, I like that. Is what comes to mind Take for me. Notes. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm really interested in this idea because you're talking about the wilderness and our climate and our earth. And as we, I think, you know, are finding that more valuable than ever, but also we find ourselves sitting here in front of screens, having conversations. How are you kind of balancing those two things of of having these really sounds like very like intimate conversations in, in God's creation. And then sort of having these like, hundred miles away conversations. How, how are you balancing that? How are you finding that to be? Yeah. Um, with significant heartache at times, um, it's, uh, it's hard to, well, just on a personal level to have shifted from, um, uh, from a, uh, kind of profession of vocation that was very, was necessarily incarnational, right? Like bodies together, among the elements, mm, right? Out like in the wilderness. out in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah. Or, or what John Muir called the half wild parks and gardens of town, right? Like deep mm-hmm. in the back country or just like in a pocket park, um, you know, near a busy street, but like out there among the, among the elements um, and shifting to, well, as, as we've all kind of needed to, to figure out how to do shifting to virtual spaces, um, or as some of us, I I guess I should say, have, have needed to figure out how to do, Mm -hmm. um, and, but still looking for ways to, um, to kind of be elemental in those spaces. Right. Um, and by that, I think I also mean like looking for ways to be embodied, Mm um, whether, whether or not that i don't know whether that not that is um like central to the theme of the program that's happening right we do we do a variety of of different types of programming at the bts center from public conversations with artists and authors and activists to um you know like like uh, public rituals that engage music and and art and and conversation and um and we have some some kind of some research projects going on and um put together and i think you were part of one of the learning cohorts that we that we did around a a book called all we can save um and so we've got a different uh array of programs and in each of those, I think, um, whether just in intention or some specific action or invitation to remember that we are bodies, um, having an embodied experience. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was hosting a retreat that we had, which it was a retreat called Wild Spirituality, and we had it online. And so there was a sort of like, right, like, like, how does, how does that, how does that work? Like, it sort of seemed a little bit counterintuitive. But I went ahead and uh, one one of my friends, Victoria Lures, was facilitating this retreat. She's an author of a forthcoming book. 
uh, called Wild Church. Um, and when I was setting it up, I went ahead and just acknowledged that, right? I just named the, like, this is odd, right? This is odd. And we paused just for a moment to, like, to, to recognize that, um, that it, it can be almost like cognitively, um, uh, baffling to be like, I'm looking at you both right now, right. On this, on this Silicon filled thing. Um, and I like to pause and just kind of remember that like, actually like that silicone, <laughs> silicon, uh, came from the earth. Right. And, mm-hmm. and then I like to like, kind of like look past the camera. So I'm looking out my window over the chickens that live in my backyard and, uh, like looking at this plant, right here, right, that that lingers with me, my friend, the staghorn fern. And then like, even beyond the the chickens, like, oh my goodness, like you, Leslie, and you, Ed, are actually out there in the world. And I just like, it's important to remember that, right? That, that, I don't know, that, that for me is just like a slight move that allows this tool that lets us be in communication with one another, um, be just that useful and not a distraction, right? Like it doesn't become the thing that I'm that I'm looking at, but it's a thing that allows me to look beyond it into this this conversation, this space where like we are literally sharing this world together, right? Like, and that I think is um, one of the biggest things to just remember time and time again that we are sharing this world, this earth. I love that. And I think, you know, that makes me think so much if people took the time and I'm even just sitting here thinking of like the three of us in our, in our corners and drawing this like imaginary triangle in my mind. But it's like, if, if people, I feel like we have so many issues online right now with people with trolls, I'm just going to call it, you know, people (laughs) saying unkind things and downright mean things and mm-hmm. horrible things to each other because there isn't that sense of there's a person over there yeah. who's receiving the thing that I'm saying. Yeah. There's an actual person, yeah. you know, and it's like, that sounds so obvious. Like, of course there's a person who do you think took the picture or is filming this or saying these things, but it's become so flattened. Mm. And when we view it with this we we embody the idea of this person that there's a person however many hundreds of miles over there who's receiving what i'm saying it gives it like you know you're not going to walk into somebody's house and say something like that to somebody else so why would you say it in their online space which is kind of their little online home i'm very passionate about this that's that's so vital yeah like the, the the ease with which bullies can remain hidden in the shadows mm-hmm. right um yeah i i uh i am reading my spouse and i our nightly ritual at bedtime i read a little bit from lord of the rings kind of oh. as as we're going and and last night literally we were reading the bit in um in the fellowship of the ring where uh strider aragorn is taking the four hobbits they're getting to rivendell but they're not quite in rivendell and they come across the trolls that uh, Bilbo had encountered on his adventure and uh, on Bilbo's adventure they got attacked by the trolls but then the sun came up and they turned to stone because everyone knows when you illuminate trolls right they become powerless and they turn to stone and I, it's like it's interesting to think about this right like what what does it look like to with our own kind of practices of imagination like throw light 
throw illumination on the the really like the power the the powerless but not ineffective tactics of trolls mm. right like the there's a there's a there's something there there's a move there i love that that you're passionate about that leslie i love that huh the comparison of trolls and bright bringing in the trolls to the hobbit is perhaps the most amazing thing i've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> i mean tolkien already figured it all out for us we just gotta just have to pay attention yeah. <laughs> well you know it's it's interesting uh, this how this conversation's evolving because i was just happened to be going downtown the other day and turned on the radio and the radio was a program about tolkien Oh, no way. This wonderful author, right? J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote these amazing books. But so many, um, in some ways, he had written these amazing creations. He's even been described by some people as the author of the century for the 20th century. Mm -hmm. But so much of it came out of his horrifying experience Mm -hmm. of the First World War, where he was actually an infantryman in the British Army and fought at Mm -hmm. the Battle of the Somme. And it's so affected the way that he understood his relationship to the earth and uh, ecology that that led to the writing of the Lord of the Rings, among many other things that he wrote afterwards. Mm. And when you were talking earlier, you know, Aaron, I love the way that you called us back to this moment, even if we're on, on screen about saying, well, I can look out my window right now and I can see this world out there and I am a body, right? It's, It's being conscious of that, of making sure that we don't become one dimensional. And I just, as you were mentioning this, I just happened to have this book behind me. Is that Henry Beston? It's Henry Beston. The The Outermost House. House, Yes. Bring it on. Lay it on us. And he says, I quote, page eight, (laughs) the world today is sick to its thin blood Mm. for lack of elemental things for fire before the hands, for water welling from the earth, for air, for the dear earth itself underfoot. And that was written also in the first part of the 20th century. And when you think about where we are now, um, you know, I think one of my, one of the questions that Leslie and I wanted to share with you is you're, just as this conversation's unfolding, you must be encountering people who are feeling just a little burned out these days, and I know in your past, you have worked with people, with leaders who feel that way. Um, I guess one question is, what gives you hope about the future? (laughs) And um, what are some of the small things that leaders can do? And right now I'm using the leader in the most inclusive sense, that in a sense, we can all be leaders. That what are some of the small moves that leaders can make to begin to to recapture what Beston talks about, you know, that's yeah. elemental things. Yeah. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Gladly. And thank you for, for uh, bringing Beston into, into play there. That's good. Um, sort of a, a conjurer of elemental imagination in yeah. his own right. Um, I think that, uh, that you're right to point out the, um, the phenomenon of burnout. Um, which is, uh, is, is prevalent in, um, in many professions, uh, not the least of which, is, uh, faith leadership professions, um, though many of the helping professions or even just being like a helping person, right. Mm-hmm. Like can, can lead to, to, to burnout and, and to, um, 
uh, and to kind of stewarding the trauma of others right alongside of Mm. one's own trauma, right? Like stewarding the grief of others right alongside of one's own grief. And, and, and this day and age, we have uh, not only kind of our, our, our personal and communal griefs to navigate, but also this earth sized mm. existential yeah. crisis that we're like learning how to grieve together in real time. Right. This isn't, this isn't uh, the, the, the size and scope of this is it's pretty, pretty new. Like I, I try to be hesitant to, to say things like now more than ever. Um, that's one of like, one of my pet peeves, I think is the idea of now more than ever. Like, who are we to say that others didn't experience the gravity of existential crises. Right. Um, but there's, there's a, there's something to, uh, kind of the global scope of the, of the existential crisis that we're dealing with now that does lead to a sense of, uh, apathy of grief of overwhelm. Um, so that wasn't your question. Your question was, what do we do? How can we, how can we, uh, that's push, the context, push, but there's the context. Yeah. Just to, uh, put a couple of exclamation points on that. Um, but I think that, uh, I don't know, one of the, one of the sort of, I guess, images that, um, that functions for me is, uh, is all of that said, um, giving, giving myself permission to, uh, kind of nurture and nourish my own existence, um, in good faith that the why behind that is, is so that I can contribute to, to, so that I can help be a director of collaboration. Thanks for that, Leslie, so that I can help contribute to the shared project of making the world more beautiful place. But I, I like to think in particular in terms of um, the earthy elemental stuff, right? And I think that uh, among the kind of constellation of climate solutions, um, one of the, one of the big ones, one of the important ones is to um, kind of restore our relationship with nature mm -hmm. and renew our identity as nature, right? Mm -hmm. To push back against that illusion, that delusion, that nature and humans are separate, right? That we're not like beautiful human mammals with imagination. Um, and a couple, a couple uh, ways to do that beyond, you know, befriending a staghorn fern um i like to think in terms of snacks meals and feasts snacks meals and feasts so when i was when i was guiding wilderness trips right like if i took if i took a group out to go canoeing on the west branch penobscot river following in thoreau's wake um for four or five days right like that was a feast that was that was like a for many people an annual or even like once in a decade or you know some of these even once in a that was like a feast of nourishment and sustenance of of uh, reconnection with the wildness all around and the wildness within. Um, but I would encourage folks that upon returning to the more quotidian rhythms, the day to day, yeah. um, right back back home that it was important also to ensure that, that you had regular meals, 
um, just as we right nourish our bodies with regular meals. What are what are the regular meals that are maybe um, you know maybe daily um, or even just like weekly uh, opportunities to connect with the natural world and with oneself as natural. Um, whether it's the practice of gardening or walking your dogs, you know, outside or or um, finding a sit spot to watch some birds. But just like those those meals and then snacks. Right. Like those are more of the like more of the, the little jolts that um, that that bring your awareness back yeah. to the reality. What one of my friends, Linda Grenfell, calls um, the real world. Right. Where uh-huh. um, that's maybe just like, I don't know, I'm still sipping on some coffee here, maybe a little late in the day. But right. Like when I take the first sip of my coffee trying to remember like almost have like a devotional relationship with the elemental etymology of the coffee itself right like what does it look like to to follow that sip back to the earth right Mm -hmm. through the through the fruits of the bushes and the and the labors of the harvesters and the sun on the you know on the terraces and um so snacks meals and feasts i don't know that's like and giving ourselves permission for those the snacks and the meals to be as legitimate a part as the um, sometimes less accessible feasts. Right. But also finding, finding ways and using our imaginations, like not everyone is able to go deep into the wilderness. um, Right. On a canoe trip. But what does it look like to find a feast uh, that, that suits you, that suits your disposition? I just, first of all, I think that is a magnificent image. I think it's just so applicable and accessible. Mm. And I, it, it brings to mind people I have known who have lived in high-rise urban apartments where they feel, you know, where you could think this would be the least likely place, you know, as Beston says, to have a contact with elemental things. But they have found a way to have a staghorn turn, you know, yes. or something in their yes. apartment or some way of connecting. And uh, so it can happen. And I just think the image that you offer uh, is a very rich one that could be pushed in many different directions right now. And, and I think this reminder to nurture and nourish our faith, because without doing that, there is simply no way that we can respond to the huge challenges that confront us. Uh, yes. Either, you know, first time ever, you know, or whether indeed they've been going on for a while. So mm. I really love that. Yeah, and there's also like an element, I feel like so much of what's happening around us now is sort of all or nothing. I find myself falling sometimes into an all yes. or nothing mentality or to go with your, what you were saying, or a feast or famine thing. Yeah. Like if I can't have the feast, yep. then it's not worth yep. my time or north, or, you know, or it's, it's not, it's not, yes. not going to get anything from this. Wow. Um, I love that so much. Cause like quick personal story. I, Please. I used to think for forever I had a really terrible black thumb. I couldn't grow anything. Behold, a live plant behind me. I have been noticing these plants. Thank you. It almost lately. died three times and is still alive. So I'm very proud of myself. And like most people during the pandemic, I was like, you know what I should do? I should plant a garden. I should plant a vegetable garden. And it has been, I would consider that my meal. Um, yes. It has, I mean, literally and figuratively, yes. it has been so 
I was like, oh, it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be so stressful. And every time I see, like I had it, I got an eggplant and I was holding it like it was like the most miraculous. And it feels like these tiny or huge everyday miracles where you're yes. like, the earth made this. I kind of helped. And yes. then there's like bees. It's like, I could talk for an hour and a half about it. And I'm like, I'm one of those, I never understood why people got so excited about gardening. I was like, you're dirty and you're kind of sweaty. And I'm like, <laughs> it's very sticky to garden. It's very yes. sticky out there. I don't know. That's for me. And now I'm I'm all in because it feels oh. like this connection, this elemental connection to the earth, this collaboration with the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get what people have been doing this for hundreds of years. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, like supper notwithstanding, right? Like the right. food is is good, but the experience itself. Right. right. Um, and that is interesting to think, um, like Ed, what you're talking about, about, um, nourishing our, our faith, um, whatever that looks like for, for you. Right. Um, and the, the fruits are, are one part of it, but like the actual experience, the process is, yeah. um, is also re- like is a reward in itself. Um, right. Like getting to a place where it's like produce, like yeah. I produced a thing that's amazing. And like the, the soft, smooth flesh of the eggplant, it's like, it's so beautiful. And like, you also now have that lived experience yeah. of like what you went through in order to be in that moment of encounter. That's have, awesome. Have you noticed that when, if you're ever eating a meal with somebody who has their own garden grown vegetables, mm. they will quite often bring these things out and kind of parade them around a little bit, right? Yes. When was the last time you bought a tomato at Shaw's and said, hey, look at that. <laughs> That's an amazing, you know, it just doesn't happen. There's something it's about true. the growing of it that it's a mystery and a miracle and, and all of that. Yeah, something that we want to share. And here at the church, you know, someone was talking recently, and I know this happens often in faith communities, where they'll have a kind of a food share at the harvest time, yeah. and people will bring the produce of their gardens. We tend not to do that with the bag of carrots we bought at Whole Foods, you know, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have the same power, right? Yeah, there's a there's a connection that we have developed with the earth. And that's mm. part of what I think we're sharing. Uh, mm. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that um, I, I, in particular in uh, the the Christian tradition, the Western Christian tradition, um, pride has perhaps rightly gotten a bad rap, right? Like the sin of pride being the one of the foremost um, ways to air as a human. Um, but I think there's a little bit, a little bit of nuance there, maybe important nuance that, um, that it's maybe more so like misplaced pride. Um, and cause I think of like, wh- one of the things that we're starting to explore doing at the BTS centers is, um, what will it look like to be doing some in-person retreats? Right. Mm-hmm. But like, regardless of whether it's, virtual online, which it has been, um, for the past 18 months, um, and will be to some extent going forward or in person, like how, how, and why do we gather? And I think like three of the reasons that, um, that are most compelling for like why to convene people who share these values of, um, exploring and embodying spiritual leadership. Um, 
I think like one of, one of them is solidarity, right. A sense mm-hmm. of solidarity among ourselves and inspiration. Right. Um, and I mean that both in like kind of the colloquial sense of like to be inspired and also in the sort of etymological sense of like, to be able to draw breath, to get a deep breath, right. To inspire. Um, and then the third, the third is, uh, like to increase confidence, right. To like find a source of pride in one's vocation, in one's produce. Right. Um, but it's like, it's misplaced pride. If like, (laughs) if the thing that we are proud of, and, um, when I say we, I'm speaking for, um, white cisgender privileged men, um, who I think uh, rightly do need to look to uh, kind of challenging some of the uh, inherent pride that our social status has said is is okay for us. Um, but like to be proud of of productivity rather than to be proud of one's relationship with hmm. uh, with the process of hmm. of produce, right? Like I think that's a misplaced instance of pride and, 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 and maybe even like a a misplaced idea of leadership, right? Like, what does it, what does it mean to be a leader? Well, it's not, it's not just like increased effectiveness or influence or efficiency or managerial prowess or productivity, right? What does it mean to be a leader? That's a question that I am exploring more now in this new role that I have, Mm. um, and I'd love to hear what both of you think. What does it mean to be a leader? Because I think that it has that actually like I'm more, I'm I'm a little bit more interested in leadership than in like a leader, right? Because mm-hmm. like being a leader is sort of like a thought can be thought of as an individual's endeavor to increase one's personal platform, mm-hmm. one's personal productivity. But what what does it look like to be part of something that's called leadership? Well, that's that's a collective endeavor, right? That is kind of an ecology in and of itself. Like the 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 Round Hill community itself can be involved in spiritual leadership, right? Um, then there's another layer of those who have some degree of of stewardship and responsibility mm-hmm. in those communities, right? Like that's also part of the kind of the calculation of what what leader or the ecology, I guess, of what leadership is. I don't know. What do you like? What do, what do you, what do both of you think about that? Is this a question? It's an open-ended question for me. What does it even mean to be a leader? One, one thought I'll throw out, and I, I like the distinction between being a leader and leadership mm. in the church. We've often talked about discipleship, right? So yeah. the craft that's meant to be shared and in, in a sense developed and then, and, and, and uh, communicated from one generation to the next mm. There was an article that came out in the New York Times probably three or four years ago and uh, really caught my attention as it did for a few people in the congregation. So I preached a sermon about it. And basically the the gist of it was, um, and I forget the name of the woman who wrote the article, but she said, stop calling me a leader. Mm-hmm. That actually we really need better followers. <laughs> what we really need is our wise and creative thinking followers who are prepared to enact the best visions that we have, to follow the best visions that we have. And I just thought back to the beginning of our conversation where you talked about, you know, people who are trying to mobilize their own spiritual gifts and then in the service of the common good. 
Yes. And I really like that because um, in all in all, you know, most organizations don't need, may need a few leaders who take on the stewardship of those roles, but actually we need a lot of great followers. And uh, it doesn't mean by following that I've renounced my way of thinking, my voice, my power, any of that. In fact, it means I'm fully engaging them in the service of this bigger vision. Mm. And I think that's something that's more attractive now. And I, I love the fact that it appears on your website as, a, you know, to equip faith leaders. Mm. And I just think about um, these conversations that Leslie and I have been having here now. Which episode are we on now? Yeah, how long have you been doing this? We're on. So this is actually very funny because the first episode. So we just started a new season and I said it was season five, which was totally wrong. This is season <laughs> It's season six. This is season six, episode two that we're recording right now. Um, But we've been doing it. I did the Top Gear thing where you do two seasons in one year. So we've been doing this, I think, for four years now. Um, And it continues to evolve and uh, has, you know, such wonderful guests like yourself has been just so enriching. And it's it's like 80 episodes that we have done, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think about... I think the underlying thread for all of these conversations with me, the ones that mostly Leslie and I have together, the ones where we invite guests are really tapping into that, that capacity mm-hmm. to mobilize, right? Uh, yeah. the, and the energies that we have for this greater good. And that to me is a really exciting conversation. It's always exciting to have these podcasts because, you know, Leslie and I are constantly trying to, develop an environment where we can encourage others to join in that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's, there's no leadership without other people. Um, I think of the, I think think it was a far side comic. It was one of those like single frame comics where it's a, it's a street busker. And he, instead of like playing the guitar or playing saxophone, he's conducting. Uh Which obviously doesn't work when there's no one to sing or no one to play. And so that makes me think of like leadership without anybody there. Um, And I think that really points to the value of it's the people that you're you're with and the people that you're guiding. When I think of leader, I think very much of of guiding um, and sort of providing resources. You know, in my in my role as our choir director, I think about, you know, they're all doing. I mean, I can't do this by myself. Like I need them there and they are each individually so valuable. And then together we create something really exciting and really beautiful or really moving or really joyous. And from that comes that, but you have to, the, the, they have to have the action. I can't do any of it for them. I can make suggestions. You know, there's that, there's the Peloton quote, I make suggestions, you make decisions. And Mm. so they have to, decide what to take of suggestions I've made, what to bring their own creativity, their own motivation, their own inspiration too. And so it's this sort of like, you know, um, I think back to also like those, some of the wonderful brainstorming sessions Ed and I have had um, and with our former associate pastor, Dan, where there's an idea and we get to the end of the meeting and we don't remember whose idea it was. Oh, that's so good. Cause it's like, it just sort of bubbled yes. and happened. And it's this sort of magic of, of collaborations. So those are my thoughts on leadership. That's beautiful. Magic. 
Chorus. Yes. Ecology. <laughs> so good. So good. Hey, we have had an absolutely fascinating, wide-ranging conversation <laughs> that feels like it has just started. Yeah, we went all over the place. It's great. <laughs> we did. <laughs> barely, barely scratching the surface. Um, so I think one one thing, uh, Aaron, would be great to have you back on this podcast. That's yes, number one. Let's do that. Right. So we see how the conversation continues and and develops, and how you're. It'd be exciting to see how you're gaining clarity about your work with the BTS Center. And yes. we really, really encourage our listeners to visit the btscenter.org because I think they, I think you have some of the most beautiful language about vision and purpose mm. that I've come across in a long time. Mm. And as I, as I explained to Aaron, I think confessed to Leslie, I've, I've borrowed that template, you know, as I thought about creating or crafting a vision statement with our leaders at Round Hill Community Church. So it's, uh, you know, getting getting some creative repurposing here. That's uh, so good. But just as a as a kind of a closing comment, Aram, is there anything that you might share with us? Just to, let's just say as a as a moment of transition from this conversation. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Um, well, just one one word of thanks, and then one word of uh, of just of, of repetition of something that that we have been talking about, and who knows whose idea it was. Um, but a word of thanks for this conversation, because these these conversational spaces is where a lot of the important work of clarifying gets mm. done. So thank you for inviting me uh, around the fire here, mm. uh, the fire of our uh, of our screens. And uh, I just want to I just want to echo what I've what I've heard us talking about. Um, the idea. So our our mission at the BTS Center is here it is to catalyze spiritual imagination with enduring wisdom for transformative faith leadership. Mm. Um, and so that idea of transformative leadership, transformative faith leadership, um, shifting away from a sense of like this is an individual endeavor, right? To increase mm. my own personal effectiveness or influence, and toward an ecology of people of good faith who are trying to make the world based on good, strong, solid, compelling visions of the common good. Mm. Uh, so let's, yeah, let's please do continue explore what it looks like to, to incarnate that, to manifest that, right. to put that into effect. Wow. Aaron, this has been wonderful. I think we, you know, at some point I want to hear a lot more about those chickens that are in your yard. That's, that's absolutely. <laughs> we'll have omelets at some point. <laughs> well, blessings on you and the BTS center, your colleagues and all those people who are going to come to you looking for, you know, resources and inspiration for faith leadership. And we are fortunate to have you in that role. And uh, we wish you blessings in every possible way. Ed, Leslie, to you as well, and to the whole Round Hill community. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.